Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. Today I'm joined by legendary artist Big Jim Miller. You know Big Jim Miller from shows like Ed, Ed and Eddie, My Little Pony. And coming soon, is this the reboot or is this the new it's sort of It's like a continuation, but it's got a new look a little bit. It's a new and improved, let's say. Well, I mean, it's got to be new and improved if you're working on it, man. You did some fantastic work. You know, I'm going to make you feel a little uncomfortable, probably. I don't know yet. It just depends on how well uh, how well this shit is going to bounce off you, man. But I absolutely loved this cartoon growing up. And the cartoon I'm talking about is the Ed Boys, man. This is my favorite cartoon. You can't see it. It's on my shirt, though. But nonetheless, man, Wait. you know, all of them right there. Nice. Right? So you guys had such a huge impact. And I've made... Everybody from this show, super uncomfortable. And I said how fantastic this show was. I think it was the greatest cartoon Nickelodeon has done, you know. But it was Cartoon Network. It wasn't Nickelodeon. Fucking A. God damn it. I messed up because I What kind of down. super fan are you? I'm a piece of shit, Jim, is what I'm telling you. That's what I am. I fucking look down and I'm looking at a Nickelodeon screen right now. And that's why I fucked up. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. And so nonetheless, Cartoon Network. I even had it on my shirt and I'm a piece yep. of man but nonetheless man i'm so glad the show was on cartoon network not nickelodeon uh, i'm so glad i got to watch this on cartoon network um but nonetheless man i want to know how you got onto ed ed and eddie but i have to tell you a story that john told me about you joel oh, in, a okay. radio, in a radio um i don't know if you know where i'm going with this one um oh, i'll see, see where but apparently back in the day aka you guys needed a new radio in your writing room the artist lounge and all this other shit. So it came up to Danny's attention that, Hey, we need a new radio. We need some more music. We need all of this <laughs> here. Right. So I think I know where this is going now. Yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite story I've ever heard about any writing room or any artist room or anything like that. So, um, but I want, I wanted to get your, your thought or, 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 or what you thought or what you did as far as what Jono saw and what Jono remembered. Um, mm-hmm. Like somebody came up and said, Hey, we need a new radio. So Danny goes out while everybody's at lunch and he tells you, it says, Hey, whenever you get back, give it a few minutes. I want you to smash the fuck out of this radio. And if that wasn't enough entertainment, it was the fact that Joel, not knowing <laughs> that you were supposed to smash this because Danny gave you the word and he just goes full on brother mode and just starts stomping the shit out of this, this radio with you, not knowing that it was a joke. Um, yeah. Can you give us any more details other than what I told you? Is that pretty much how it went cut and dry? That's pretty much how it went. I mean, we thought it would be funny. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it came up with Danny about getting the new stereo. Cause we listened to music all the time while we were working. And I think the, the machine we had was the CDs were skipping all the time. This is how old we were, you know, uh, you know, I was in my twenties and, um, the CDs are skipping and we're all getting pissed off because things aren't working. So I think 
what it was was we put in something and it wouldn't play proper like that was the sort of fake out i would go up to the machine try and get it to work and then just snap and you know pick up the the main part of the thing and throw it on the ground and then it, joel just bolted out from his desk and started curb stomping um the rest of the bits and it, everyone was understandably quite shocked about the display and uh and then of course you know danny i think if i remember correctly sort of played into it like what the fuck are you doing uh and got real mad and and then we revealed to everybody it was all a gag but uh it was pretty amusing when when joel jumped in i i, I gotta imagine man like I, I can't remember what year it came out but uh office space where they take the fucking the copier the fax machine the fax they, machine yeah they yeah out and they beat the shit out of it that's the first thing that came to mind so i think they owe you some royalties as far as making <laughs> you know life imitating art so um but nonetheless man uh, thank you, one, for just reiterating that. So I really enjoyed that story, and I was in fucking tears when Jonna told me. Um, but nonetheless, I say that all the time. But nonetheless, um, I want to know, how did you get hooked up with Danny and AKA? Well, uh, man, that's make me feel real old now. Um, so I went to film school in 96, 97. Mm -hmm. And uh, coming out of film school, there wasn't a lot of work, so... There was a bit of time where I was bumming around. I was working at a Virgin Megastore in their video department. And uh, I, a friend of mine had been hired there, Karen Lloyd, who was a board artist in the first season of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Uh, we were in film school together. She was hired at AKA and she had heard that they were looking for more artists. I'd never worked in the industry at all. So you, I went in and I got the, the materials to do what's called a test. It's like it's like uh, a, a drawing audition. They give you a little chunk of script, you board out a little section and then you hand it in and they give you a thumbs up or thumbs down. And uh, I remember I, I did that. I was working during the day. So I'd come home at night in my little shitbox apartment and I didn't have a proper desk. So I was drawing on my lap uh, in my, my single bed. Um, I did the test. It was a terrible test, terrible test. And I handed it in. Why do you think it was terrible? And, oh, just because I had no skill at, at all at the time. Like I'd done one year of film school. I'd not worked professionally. Um, I think there's a lot of like pulling shit out of my ass. Like mm -hmm. really, I'd, I'd only done board, like two boards in film, film school for the film that I animated, right? Like, so yeah. my experience level was in the negatives. Um, and then... Um, I met up with this friend, I met up with Karen to uh, have lunch one day after I'd handed it in. And she said, did you get a phone call? Because I think they're, they're having people come into the studio uh, on Monday. And I'm like, no, I didn't get a phone call. We'll just show up on Monday. So I showed up on Monday. I never got a phone call. Um, so maybe I was never officially hired, but they put me to work that Monday. And uh, <laughs> 10 years later, I was one of the last guys there. It's like, you look like you can draw some shit. Here's a pencil. Go make magic happen. Um, One of the crazier stories about the test was uh, in film school, Scott Underwood, who was one of the other board artists on the Eds, amazing talent, mm -hmm. supremely funny guy, amazing artist. Uh, I had seen all his stuff in film school and was really intimidated by him and his work. And then I remember seeing his, um, his board test for Ed, the Ed, Ed and Eddie stuff and was like, this isn't, 
as good as I was expecting. I mean, it's, it's fine, but it's not that great. And then later I found out he'd been in a car accident. So he had drawn it with his left hand, his non-dominant hand. Jesus and then Christ. it was like, oh, well, Jesus Christ, this is amazing for a guy <laughs> who doesn't normally even draw with that hand. Uh, and that guy just continues to blow everyone out of the water. I can't even brush my teeth with my left hand. And this man's animating with a non-dominant. That is fucking- it's crazy. How, yeah. Is that when you see something like that, do you, as far as your industry, because I, I work in the restaurant industry and I have a chef that is, is the word ambidextrous. He can use both hands. Yeah, both okay. hands. Yeah. So I thought he was fucking with me for like the first two weeks when I started there, because I would watch him, he would cut something with his right hand. Then I'd look away. And a couple hours later, he was cutting the same exact thing or cutting something different with his left hand. And then mm-hmm. I would watch him write. And then he'd write with his other hand. Then he'd write with this hand. And I just looked at him one day. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He was like, what do you mean? I was like, I've seen you do this with both hands. Either you're fucking with me or I'm very, very high right now. And I don't smoke <laughs> at work. I wait until I get home. So I know that's not the case. And he's like, oh man, I just use both hands. I had never met somebody that could use both hands in their profession. Um, well, the so- crazy thing about Scott is he's not ambidextrous. He just was like, well, shit, I got to do this test to try and get a job. So I'm going to do it with my left hand so I can get it in. What do you what do you think that would do as far as your profession goes? Do you think that would make you obviously you could if you if you have an injury, you could do both hands and you can kind of wing it to an extent. But do you think that helps at, at that point? And you and your profession? I think it's more just like a stupid pet trick kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's I mean, it's impressive, but I don't think it really made him uh, like his his brain is the thing that's more interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where the talent is coming from. Not the hand. I got, well, that's, that's really a weird statement though. I mean, you guys are all, when you draw, so little, little backstory just for a second. So Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I wanted to do what you did for a living. Then I found out at a very, very young age that almost everything you do generally gets thrown away um, Mm -hmm. because it's just not good enough. And uh, you know, I was at universal studios when they were rolling out SpongeBob SquarePants back in the day, I was a real young kid. And I would draw stuff, but I could never create like from my head. I could see stuff and I could draw it. No problem. Perspective was always off for a young kid. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, I could see and I could see and copy. Um, and I remember uh, them giving us tickets when we walked into Universal one day. And there's an artist. and I can't remember who it was. but They were doing character designs for all of the characters in Bikini Bottom. And I just mm-hmm. remember seeing this one lonely, sad guy in the corner, just ripping stuff off of his board, crumbling up and throwing it over his shoulder. And he had a mountain of just shit crumbled up and thrown away. Um, but when you sit there and say that it's not really coming from your hand, it's coming from your brain, what do you really mean by that as far as an artist goes? Well, I think just the, the ideas, like for storyboarding, the thing, like Scott was already an amazing artist, but the thing that for me set him apart was his, not only could he draw like a motherfucker uh, and the expressions were insane and super funny, but the jokes and the, and the, the posing and stuff for characters that just sort of flowed out of him naturally. Like that's obviously your, your wrist and your hand has to be connected to your brain in order to draw that stuff. But he had to think of it first. Yeah. And his brain has to go there. And the fact that it didn't really matter. And especially in the case of this test, like the idea would have been just as good if he had drawn it with this hand or this hand, like it looked a little rougher drawn with his non-dominant hand, but the, the essence of it was still amazing. Like, and that's where it comes from his brain. Now, 
when, when you guys are doing this and you said his strengths, really, what were some of your strengths that you noticed, maybe not in the first season, but as the season pro- or the series, excuse me, progressed, what do you think some of your strengths were right off the bat? Um, well, I think I was pretty shitty right off the bat. And then Danny <laughs> told me, uh, I seem to remember him telling me at the end of season one or start of season two, like you were this close to getting fired, man. Um, yeah, I think a lot of my stuff was just stubbornness, like not giving up and walking away when there was lots of times I maybe should have, uh, or, or should have been fired. Mm. But I think as the, the series went on, the thing that I was good at was, uh, more of the storytelling, like this happens, then this happens and this, like the structural stuff and, uh, some of the more perspective shots, like Woody was always doing crazy camera shit. And and that was always super impressive. And his gags were super weird. Uh, and, uh, Joel was really sort of like all around really solid. And then Scott would be really funny. And then I was sort of like the structure guy and uh, maybe a little bit more character driven stuff. I think I'd like to think so. Those guys may disagree, but I think that's where I, I would come from it a little bit more. Now, there's a there's another not, not so much a story because Mike didn't elaborate because he said he would leave it up to you to elaborate. He just because I asked him what was some of his favorite episodes were writing. Um, and he was like, I liked a lot of them, but he gave me a couple. Um, but I was like, what was some of the uh, issues that he had had? And he's like, well, I didn't really have an issue, but I think Big Jim might have. He was like, he always tell, told me I was doing too much of the Scooby-Doo gags or the Scooby-Doo shit. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, that I, and this isn't just Mike. I, this has happened on every show I've worked on. Mm-hmm. Invariably, a writer will write a thing that is like the Scooby-Doo door gag. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like characters run in one door mm-hmm. and then the monster runs out the other. And that's... To me, I sort of feel like that's an easy way to get around like doing a chase. Like it's not as visually interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a little, not only is it a pain in the ass to draw, <laughs> but um, it's not as interesting in my opinion. So, um, and the other thing that was reared on the Eds is that, you know, Mike and John, we worked from outlines. So Mike and John would sort of come up with the basic points of the story, but then there wasn't a script, right? Yeah. So it would be handed to to the board artists and we would fill in all the small details. We would write a pass of the dialogue that then Danny would, once he had approved uh, a board, would go in and do his polished pass, which was always funnier. Um, so, you know, we were just sort of setting a lot of the building blocks up based off of the outlines that Mike and Jono were writing. Now, was that the, f- obviously it was your first, you said it was your first job as far as animation goes, right? Yeah. Right film school. Um, since that and everything you've done since, is that the most open as far as script development or the lack thereof script? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure SpongeBob does a similar thing and certain shows, um, especially the stuff that's done in LA. I feel like there, I think Steven Universe was similar. Um, but for a lot of the Canadian stuff, the stuff that's done in Canada, we get a lot of service work. So they, uh, for whatever reason, and I, I don't know if this is the best way to describe it, but they don't trust us as much to, or they want to control it a little bit more. So we'll get more detailed scripts that you tend to have to abide by more. So as an, as an artist, I got to imagine that you like free range, but maybe as a young artist, like you were, 
back in that first season, um, like you said, straight out of film school, was mm-hmm. it daunting at all? Or was it just like, oh, man, yeah, yeah. like it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Like when the sky's the limit and you can do anything, you're kind of overwhelmed with options. Mm-hmm. So you can be paralyzed and not know where to go or how to start or, you know, like anything can happen within the sort of basic structure of this story that, that we've got. So, you know, there was a lot of reworking and redoing or trying a thing that just doesn't land the way you want it. So, I mean, it was, it was a boot camp for learning in the, in the best possible way. Like I think I'm a better artist and storyteller because of my time there. Um, and I think everyone who went through that and stayed for a while is in the same boat. Uh, Joel, Woody, Scott, Sabrina Albergetti, Raven Mollesey, all these other people who worked at the studio and, and sort of now working on, like Raven went on and worked on Steven Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott and Woody have done stuff on feature films and Joel and I have gone into directing and, uh, you know, like the Steven Garcia is another guy, uh, the guy we call Meat Stick. Uh, <laughs> he's another incredibly talented guy who, really i think just needed the opportunity to be to have the leash taken off because he's he's nuts like he's so good now it seems to be like everybody that i've talked to as far as this show goes between writers and artists and voice actors everybody seems to say the same damn thing it's like i came out better because of either working under danny because danny pushed was such it's got to be perfect it's got to be perfect because it was his story he wanted to make sure his word his vision and 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 what he thought it needed to be got out there and when you sit back and look at all the is it art i don't want to keep saying artist rooms because you've got the term writer's room but what's the what's i guess what's the i want to say pc but what's the technical term for an artist room is it artist room or is it still writers? The thing that we had at AKA, at least as far as I've encountered, is kind of unique. We just call it like the storyboard room, but okay. a lot of the designers were in there too. Guys like Corey Toomey and uh, Hyuk Lee and uh, some guys, uh, Rod Philbrand, who designed all the BGs, didn't like to be in that room with us because we were shitheads. <laughs> and, you know, he was, he was like 10, 15 years older than us, so he didn't have the patience for our bullshit. Yeah, uh, which understandable as uh, I'm probably the age that, that Rod was now that he was dealing with us. And I don't think I could deal with a room full of 25 year old dickheads. So <laughs> I do not blame him at all. I have a lot more sympathy and understanding for him now. So another another story that always continues to come up would be uh, not only posted notes that Danny would write you guys as far as if something sucked, but something everybody has told me. Um, is that you guys would just break out and start fucking wrestling in the middle of... Oh, yeah. We had all sorts of dumb shit. We There was... I think... Because we were there all the time. Like, Mm. I don't think people really understand. Like, we did 15-hour days, six, seven days a week. Like, we were nuts. We Our life was our work, and we worked really, really hard. And we needed to do dumb shit to break the tension sometimes. So... Uh, we would do things. We someone bought those inflatable sock and bopper things <laughs> you put on your hands. Sock and we would have <laughs> boxing matches uh, at the studio. Woody did this thing that we called Friday Night Table, where it's that trick where you get you you know you have a person 
in a bunch of people in the in a circle and the other one lays down on the other one's knees and then you pull all the tables up in their own uh balance <laughs> momentum keeps them standing so we did that but he had like a huge circle of people that was really fun we had uh we did leg wrestling for a while um what else there was all sorts of shit there was a lot of drinking that went on of course uh especially friday paydays we got paid every friday which was amazing but uh we were also broke by monday so <clears throat> so yeah going through all of this stuff and, and 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 looking back now and you've got all this i don't want to say hindsight's 2020 but you got I guess a better perspective of what you accomplished and where you were at and where you've come and where you're at now. Um, when it's all said and done, what do you think the most important thing that you learned by working with AK and Danny and all the other guys that you have mentioned previous? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know, man, that's a hard one. There's so much that I learned. Um, the thing that I think I, the, that I think about a lot is how, lucky I was not only to just work there, but to work there with those particular dudes and, and ladies, most of them were still super close now. We're like a fucked up dysfunctional family. Uh, still talk to Joel, Woody and Scott, occasionally see Jono, Dan Seawee, who's a producer. I still talk to Sabrina and Sharan Johnson. Like there's so many people uh, that are like brothers and sisters. And to me, that's something that, as I've moved in onto other shows, I try to foster that, like just the, the camaraderie and the teamwork because you get a better product in the end if everyone's invested in everyone's success. Um, yeah, I think that's super, super important. Yeah, you guys, like I said, whenever, whenever I've talked to you guys, you guys have really, and I, I'm sorry if I keep using you guys. Um, because that's all right. If there was ladies, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's easier just to say you guys, um, mm -hmm. people, I guess. Um, but even then somebody will find something to say about me saying you people, but nonetheless, man, I don't give a fuck what anybody says at the end of the day, I'm having fun talking to people that I really, really enjoyed their work. Um, but when you sit, obviously when you sit back and think now, do you think that as far as that writing room goes, and if you can't answer this, I completely understand because I don't want to put anybody else that you work with on blast, but do you think yeah. that's the most fun you've ever had working on a show? Def it's definitely the craziest like uh it was fun but it was also super super hard and it was um like i don't think i would have survived it without those those guys the the gender neutral guys um uh you know what i mean like yeah but also i was like 21 when i started and 31 when i quit when we finished or like left um you know, you're doing all sorts of dumb shit in your 20s anyway. So yeah. it's it's a moment in time that I don't think we could recreate. There's so many stories that would be HR nightmares from that time that, that, that like there's just no way you could recreate that room and get that level of commitment and quality and weirdness from even if you put the same group of people together again, because everyone's different people now that we're in our late thirties and forties now. So now with, with all of that being said, do you think that is why that this show was so popular and this show went for so long? I mean, I, it's still, I think cartoon networks longest running show of all time. I believe I, I don't think that's because we were often behind schedule. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a testament to the environment that Danny created that he, he would always say, I'm going to give you enough rope to hang yourself with. And he, he really meant that like go nuts, but I will rein you in when it's not going right. Uh, and you know, that was a, it was a very unique and important way to foster that creativity. And that's, that's what he wanted and that's what he got. And there's, pros and cons from that environment but I think ultimately the show's good and people still like it 20 something years later so it's a success you guys are some of the most I think it's because you're from Canada correct yeah I live in Vancouver I I think you guys are some of the most humbling people my you guys I mean fucking Canadians man every time I try to give you guys accolades yeah yeah yeah, it's good Jono especially Jono was the one person that when I talked to him I was really worried about because he was very soft spoken the first time I talked. First time I ever talked to him, I was doing the Christmas special that we can't air. Um, yeah, he was very very reserved. And anytime I, anytime I would give him a compliment, he'd be like, "Oh man, it was okay. It was good. It was it was man, it could have been better." That type. That's John, though. That, he's yeah, always yeah. that way. And I, I know I don't I don't know. I think it's just those group of guys that it really was a team effort. And and yeah. you know we leaned on each other for all sorts of stuff. And there's a reason why we are still friends to this day. It's, it doesn't really, it's like, a, <laughs> we always joke, like it was a, it's a cult. Like we're, 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 we've come out of a cult and uh, you know, we did our weird time together or like a, a prison sentence. And uh, you know, we went through the shit with those guys and they will always be our brothers. Yeah. When you, when you got, when you guys go and you have, you know, thrown in a, a, a cult like you know topic but you guys have that religious experience or you guys are embracing the suck because you said 15 hour days that is insane there's kids now that fucking cry when they work six hours let alone a 15 hour day in a high intensity industry like that you guys are making fucking cartoons you, you you said that you know the reason it was so long is because you guys kept missing deadlines but i have to feel like you guys missed deadlines because you didn't want to put out bullshit you know, and I, yeah, well, that, that was Danny's thing. It was like, I'm not sending this out just because it needs to go out. Like, it needs yeah. to be good and it needs to be what I want it to be. And that's, you know, that's he, he had the ability to do that. That's not always a thing that exists on other productions. Sometimes it's like you're out of time, you're out of money. So you got to move forward. But uh, he he was able and as a bit of a force of nature, able to push back and make sure that his vision was what ended up on the screen. And that's admirable. And not a lot of creators get that opportunity. Yeah, a lot of people are just okay with, you know what, man, it's good enough, good enough for me, good enough for them. And I love and I think that's what 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 fucking sells so much about that punk rock mentality. It's like, no, my way my way, my voice, my story, my characters, me, 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 me. I'm not going to put something out there that's going to have a negative light on it, whether it be shitty animation, shitty writing, shitty this. No, everything is going yeah. to be perfect. Um, what was it like trying to manage not only his expectations, but your expectations as far as a young artist goes? Oh, it's, it's hard because, I mean, I don't think I had the emotional maturity to maybe deal with some of this stuff you know like it was my first professional job before that I delivered newspapers and worked in a retail hardware store you know worked at a sign shop like these were these were more um you know just like uh grunt work you go in you lift the boxes you sell the thing like that but this is there was so much more subjectiveness to this thing like art is subjective or 
you have a day where you just can't produce anything because you can't draw what's in your head won't come out on your your hand or or you're just tired or whatever like that was such a huge adjustment um for me and i don't know that i always dealt with it well uh, what, what would you do if you had like, i don't know if it's you guys have the same terminology and i apologize if i keep using the same words it's okay i hear all the time writer's block obviously you just said you couldn't you know take what was here and put it here to put it there um what would you do to kind of get past that? Has that been the same kind of concept when you were a younger artist to when you're now a more seasoned artist? Or has that all changed as well? It's changed a lot now. I mean, now I do a lot less drawing for fun because I, I'm doing, not always drawing now that I'm directing, but especially on the eds, like we were drawing all day long. Mm -hmm. uh, so we would come home, whatever, seven, eight, nine at night. And you didn't want to sit down and draw something for fun. Some people did. Some people like Scott and Raven, they just, they can't stop drawing. They just have to keep drawing. I didn't have that gene. So at the end of the day, I would just go home and collapse. Um, but like, yeah, you get artist block or a creative block. It's no different. There's just, it's a lot of people view creativity, like especially executives and no shit to executives. They're important, but you know, you have a a deadline from this day to this day and they expect you to turn that thing on like a tap and it will constantly flow until you turn it off but it doesn't work like that some days you got it and some days you don't and you have to be okay with that and that might mean one day that you have to go out for an hour-long walk get some fresh air but you have to make up that hour somewhere else in your day yeah um but i don't think i knew that or at least was good at identifying that in myself at that time in my career. Like where there was a lot of just trying to push through, especially when everyone else around you is so talented and creative all the time. And, you know, I'm sure if you talk, when you talk to Joel or if you talk to some of these other art, artistic guys, it'll be the same. There's a weird competition. It's good natured, but you know, that guy's doing something real amazing. I can't do anything less than what that person's doing. Like that drove us to be better and better and better. So to step away and go like, oh, can't do this right now. That's kind of, there was a weird macho, like, oh, that's weak. Um, which now I, I don't know that that, it's not weak. I, I don't know that it was healthy to yeah. not step away. Uh, but, um, you know, you learn those lessons by doing them. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you're going to have good days and bad days at work. Everybody has them, no matter how long you've been doing this. For you, and I don't want to use a blanket statement for all artists, because everybody's different. Like you said, art is subjective. But for mm -hmm. you, do those days, those bad days, as far as just not being able to communicate your brain to your hand, do those lessen or intensify as you get older, the more you No, do? they're the same. They're the same. I mean, it's most every artist I know has some degree of um, depression or anxiety. And, and yeah. I, I, I do a fair amount of beating myself up emotionally. And there's days where, you know, even though I've been in the industry 22 years, I'm like, Ugh, I'm shitty. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I got here. A lot of us suffer from imposter syndrome. I have imposter syndrome where one day they're going to find out. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> that happens a lot. And it's just, how long do you wallow in that? Uh, are you willing to go to therapy? I go to therapy. Are you willing to be on uh, um, antidepressants? I'm on antidepressants. Um, but that's not because of 
work, that's because of yeah. my brain, you know, like yeah. it wouldn't be different if I worked at a bank. No, I, 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 this is something that is not talked about enough and, and not just in the artistic field. Right. So I was a Navy guy. I got mm -hmm. hurt, hurt my back, hurt my neck. Um, it seems to be everybody's first go-to is just pills, 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 pills. pills mm -hmm. right? So when I got hurt, I didn't know what I did. And it's not like I lost a leg. I lost an arm. I can't fucking move, you know, any of this shit. It's just my spine is pushing over my hip into this nerve cluster and all this other stuff. Right. So the first thing they start doing is giving me all of these pills. And when you're in the Navy, they, you can't say no, because they write a little note in there that says refuse treatment. And then when you go to get out, if you try to go against the VA for anything, they say he refused or she refused treatment. Um, and then they circle that and they tell you to get fucked essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You so get nothing said. I never knew what depression was. I'd have sad days, you know, my dog would die or my grandpa died, something like that. I'd have sad days. I never knew what depression was like until I couldn't fucking walk. My back was looked like a black boot, right? My whole black, lower half of my back was just fucked, right? And I just kept getting these pills. These Lyrica pills was what it was called. This is what started it. And these things were meant for a whole bunch of different disorders, right? And a lot of them were for the brain. But a lot of the studies had shown at that time that they worked fantastic for nerve damage and nerve pain. What I didn't know was what depression was until I started doing this stuff. And then they would switch my pills and I would be on something else or something like this. And then it fucked up my brain. I would just be sitting there and I would just start crying or I'd be yep. super pissed off or I'd be super happy. I'd have these peaks and these valleys and these highs and these lows. And like I said, the whole reason I brought the story up is, is I'm glad that you brought it up for one, because I do not think it's talked about enough. It's, and you brought it up earlier as well. It's like, it's, it's that bitch out mode or that you know you need to step away or you need to do this and you get looked at differently you got treated differently mm -hmm. i'm glad that the culture is shifting and then we're allowed to talk about this shit now yeah i think especially as guys there's the there's the whole generation of us who aren't really good at talking about how we feel mm -hmm. and we're viewed as pussies if we you know if we cry or if we if we tell people how we're feeling uh i'm very lucky to work with a lot of younger people now who don't give a shit about that they're gonna feel how they feel um but that same sort of thing i remember before i was on medication going to see the tim burton movie big fish mm -hmm. and at the end of the credits just like sobbing and going it wasn't even a good movie like i didn't <laughs> why am i crying you know like but it was just you know that kind of feeling like something's wrong with me because i'm not and i think a lot of it is growing up you don't have good outlets for those emotional things yeah. so it gets bottled down and packed away in your weird parts of your body and then one day it just is like i don't have room for this anymore and it all comes out like a jack-in-the-box um so yeah therapy helps it doesn't make you weak obviously i've had a fair amount of success in my life doing if it if it made me weak i wouldn't still be doing what i'm doing yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people out there need need to hear that, that, you know, most of the creative people, you know, whether that's artists or restaurateurs or chefs or actors, we all suffer from varying degrees of this same kind of feeling. And that doesn't in some ways that helps fuel what you do creatively. Yeah. You know, it's all, I always sort of looked at it as kind of like the trade off of being creative is like you get to create super awesome things, but you don't get to do that rent free you also have to deal with the emo because you're feeling those things that you're creating yeah. you know you talk you listen to all sorts of actors talk about like they 
inhabited a character and then they can't shake that feeling. It changes who they are because they had to feel those feelings that that real person uh, felt. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a, a light switch you turn on and off. It, it's just crazy. Like I said, it's just crazy that in today's day and age, not only is it more accepted, but it's more talked about than it was. Like I said, when I was going through this shit, I'm pretty sure you were the same way when you were going through this stuff back in the day. And even now, you just got treated differently. You just got looked at differently. And like I said, I'm super glad that this shit is starting to change and shift. And then you start seeing all of these prominent, these big people, these people that everybody looks up to. And I'm not just going to throw out like Tom Hanks, right? Let's say Tom Hanks yeah. is manic depressive, right? Let's just mm -hmm. say that for an example. When somebody like that, with that stature, with that level of fame, that notoriety, they start talking about how human they really are and how they hurt, they bleed, they this, they this, they that, right? It makes it easier. It makes it more susceptible for people to actually listen. And you brought up a really good point about men because I didn't have a dad in the picture. So it was that, oh, you can't, you can't cry. Boys yeah. don't cry. That's a girly thing, right? That's, that yeah. was always a big thing. Don't be a pussy. Don't be a bitch. That was a huge thing. And then you have this, this, you said this term earlier, imposter syndrome. That is a fantastic terminology for what, I don't want to say what a guy really feels like, but you do have to have this, 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 false bravado where you can't like this or you can't like that like i like the picture back here that i got at fucking hobby lobby it's a bullshit mm -hmm. painting it cost me 15 bucks i love the fucking colors essentially is what i'm getting at yeah. something like that i fucking love like life is color right all of this shit around me life is color i wouldn't have been able to buy that 15 years ago because i would have had this this sense of that's not what a guy thinks a guy can't like batman and be an Orlando Magic basketball fan, and like UFC, and like this, and like that. And oh, by the way, he likes animation, and he likes the color pink. You couldn't be that. And, no. and to know that other people not only suffer from that, but creative people, I don't know if it's, would you say for you, I guess, since you've been in this industry for so long, and you've been around so many of these people, do you think it's more of an artistic I guess issue, not issue, because it makes it sound like it's bad. You know, depression. No, I think it's like I think it's creative people, and most people are creative to a certain degree. Everyone yeah. deals with this, and this is the same thing. You know, when they talk about uh, representation matters for for people seeing themselves in the entertainment they consume, like uh, LGBTQ people, people of color, uh, uh, people of different sexual orientations, to see themselves in in entertainment or see themselves in government or like you and I seeing dudes who are uh, openly about their emotions like that yeah. makes you feel less alone mm -hmm. makes you feel like you're not fucked up uh, makes you feel like oh I'm I'm not abnormal there's I don't need to die or kill myself because that guy who I think is cool or that person who I think is awesome is not that different from me yeah um, and I think that it takes I'm not saying I'm brave at all by talking about this shit, but it takes people who are braver than me to start talking about these things and normalizing these things. And that's something that I like to do with my crew. I'll tell them, you know, because there's still this stigma around like seeking help in an appropriate way and going to counseling, going on, on uh, antidepressants or whatever. Like I remember when I first went on, I was really upset. I'm like, Oh, I need this drug to keep me normal. I'm going to be on this for the rest of my life. I'm there's something wrong with me. My brain doesn't work right. And it's like, no, that's not really it. You're just lucky enough to live in a time where uh, science can help you not 
want to stab yourself in the eyes because yeah. your brain makes you feel bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're in a day and age where it's okay and you're, you're self-aware. That's another big thing. I don't think people 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago even were, I mean, five years ago, really even, it, mm-hmm. they're not as self-aware as most people are now. Because like I said, when you see somebody do something, you see Usain Bolt go out and break a mile record, right? Running mm-hmm. around, say he fucking does it in five minutes. Oh shit, if he can do it, I can probably do it in 450. Right. Somebody else. It's this never ending pursuit of what is it? Um, betterment, I guess. So when mm-hmm. you, like I said, when you see somebody else talking about, like when you're talking about representation, nothing bigger there. When Black Panther came out a few years ago, there was a whole bunch of little boys and little girls that looked like King T'Challa, right? That looked yeah. like Shuri, that looked like insert whatever character you want to in these movies. And they said, if he can do it, or if she can do it, if they mm. can do it, that means I can do it. That means I can sit here and chase whatever dream I want because these guys and girls over here, they did it, right? And it's something to go and said. It all it takes is dialogue. All it takes is a conversation. All it takes is for somebody to open up, get outside of their head, or get outside of their personality, their well-being, and just talk about shit that that should be talked about, man. And uh, you know, really want to end like as far as that goes with this, man. Thank you for one for sharing that story. Um, I really appreciate it. I don't think it's talked about enough, essentially. No, no. I, I mean, it's pretty interesting that we got on that topic from talking about, you know, like Ed falls down or whatever, you know, <laughs> falls down the stairs. Uh, but I mean, the the people who make the things that people like are human beings the same as everyone else. And we all, everyone struggles with this stuff. So I think it's good to talk about. Yes, it is, man. And just to segue, because I know, I think we've been talking for about an hour. We had so many, and by we, I mean, I, I had so many issues, ladies and gentlemen, just trying to get Jim on here because I'm a fucking idiot. I had me and we couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. It's okay. We worked it out together. We did, man. We worked our issues. We had teamwork. therapy. Teamwork makes teamwork. the dream work. One yeah. team, one scream and anything else we can make run. But <laughs> I figure we'll get to the fun part. And this is always one of my favorite parts of the show to do because not only do I get to talk to my heroes, right? I get to talk to guys like you that had such a huge impact even though i fucked up the network at the first part of this show and said nickelodeon <laughs> cartoon network man like i said this show was so fucking transforming me as a kid i had and i've told everybody this but i always like telling the story i had a bird a cockatiel his name was nacho because he had yellow cheeks and i liked nachos so he looked like nacho cheese so therefore nacho right makes perfect sense perfect it's all science based when you really think mm-hmm. about it. or yeah. color based if you really want to get down to it but well, color is science <laughs> Every morning for six to eight months, I can't remember the general time frame, but I would get up for school essentially. And I would have Ed, Ed and Eddie on because it would come on around 6 a.m. I used mm-hmm. to get up around 536. I'd turn the TV on. I'd watch cartoons for a little bit. I'd get dressed, go eat my breakfast. Right. And I had this bird. I didn't realize this little bastard was absorbing the theme song for Ed, Ed and Eddie. Right. <laughs> whistling. Let me tell Safe. you, this, this fucker went six months like a Russian sleeper cell, just hanging in the cut, waiting, waiting, waiting until summer came around. This fucker absorbed all of this theme music, right? So cut to six to eight months later, whatever it was, first day of summer starts. He's got a little blanket. I don't know if you've ever had a bird, but when they go to bed, you put a little blanket over them just so they feel safe, right? Right. I put a little blanket over Nacho. And I remember actually getting to sleep in back in the day. And I remember my eyes waking up 
at like 6.15 in the morning because he's over there going, this little fucker whistled the entire theme song, the entire summer, starting at 6.15 every single morning. Now they do the... I don't know if he did that because usually when he would start, I'd be like, shut the fuck up, Nacho, come on, man, I'm trying to sleep. And then yeah. as soon as I would open up the cage and let him come out, I, me and my brother shared a room. So the bird would fly around because we never had his wings clipped. I liked him. I like seeing him fly because yeah, he would yeah. hang out with me. He would sit up like whenever I'd go and take a shower, he'd sit up on the shower, uh, the shower rail or whatever it is. He'd get a little wet. He'd just sit there and look at me like this fucking crazy assholes showering with a bird. Right. Um, <laughs> and then when he would get out, he would fly around the room and he would shit on my brother's side of the room. Only nice. place he ever shat. Yeah, it's fantastic, man. Because I never yeah. had to clean it up. He had to clean it up. Um, <laughs> but he would just fly out, fly out, fly out. And then he would shut up and not whistle the song as long as he was out. So we got real, real close over the summer up until uh, my brother, you know, he got away because my brother dropped the cage type of thing. Um, mm. but nonetheless, man, he was a real cool bird. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody else say that their birds sang the Ed, Ed, and Eddie theme song. So it feels very apropos for me to be talking to everybody from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool like i said getting to the favorite part of the show man i'm gonna read off some questions and obviously i won't get to all of them because i want to split them up between you joel and then mike and then a few of the other guys that are going to come on yeah for sure um the one question that was asked at least 17 times though <laughs> was what is under what, under double d's hat yeah. i know you've been asked this and i try not to ask you guys the same fucking thing but i'd be remiss to not ask you no guys. It's, it's not you it's every every time i meet an ed ed and eddie fan that's like yeah. what's under there and we never nailed it down like the truth is we never nailed it down it was built up so big that i think anything that we had done mm -hmm. any idea even if it was the best idea in the world would have been disappointing to someone right because you build it up so much in your head watching the show that if it was like, oh, you take it off and it's uh, a brain or you take it off and it's like another face or you take it off and it's an ass or like, like <laughs> I think some, someone would have laughed and been like, oh, okay, cool. It's not that cool. Why would he cover that up? Like, it's not really that big of a, like, it just, it would have always been disappointing. So I think internally, that's sort of where our heads went. I don't know if Danny ever had a definitive answer. If he did, he never told us. If you had the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the Peach Creek crew, if you will, what would be under Double D's hat if it was up? I to think that I think I would leave it the way it is. I think yeah. you would never know. It's funny you're not knowing because then your the imagination of the viewer goes somewhere cool, right? Like when you were a kid, what did you think was under there? I don't think I ever really thought about it until I heard somebody else talk about it, right? Because mm -hmm. I. I, I was so enthralled. Like one of my favorite characters of all time was always Rolf because he always had mm -hmm. the best insults. I still use when he's got Kevin up in, up in a, just scruffed up by a shirt and he calls him stale, stale end of piece of white bread or something along those lines. It, That's it, all Danny. That's all yeah, Danny. All those. Yeah. It, it's like, I never really thought to think like, what is under double D's hat? And I, I, I just, I never put it together. And like I said, I didn't realize this was such a huge topic until I started reading all the questions. And then I always go and do a little bit of research on you guys by going and watching any interview you might've done before. That way I don't ask the same bullshit everybody else asks. Cause it's, it's not fun. You know, you yeah. guys want to, to, you know, grow or have fun with it and asking the same question every time is just not fucking fun. Um, but like I said, there was literally like 17 fucking questions on that. Oh, I believe I it. I believe it. Um, and then, uh, so this one's kind of a two-parter. 
Um, it was a, what was your favorite moment uh, that you ever animated and why? Oh man. You know what? I, it's crazy. I, the Eds finally ended up on HBO max. Uh, Congratulations by the way. Technically get it in Canada, but my sister lives in Boston. And I got her HBO max account. So I was checking it out and because I hadn't seen any of the show in years and I'm watching it. And I'm like, I don't remember boarding this. So I don't know how good my memory is for that. I mean, we're talking 15, 20 years ago. So um, I don't know. It was always because we used to we used to present our, like when we would do our rough version of the boards, we would pin up all the drawings on these big cork boards. And then we would present the whole episode to the studio, everyone in the studio. So you'd walk them through and it was really nerve wracking because, you know, you could as you're going through it, you can see or feel from the people watching what's working and what's not working. Uh, and, you know, Danny could be like the uh, Roman emperor, like thumbs up or thumbs down or, or you know, um, so it was really nerve wracking, but it was always really gratifying when you would go through a, a gag that maybe everyone hadn't seen and everyone would laugh. Mm -hmm. I can imagine it must be like, to a certain degree, like people do stand up comedy. Like when you tell a joke and the audience just goes, it, it makes you feel good and you want to do more. Yeah. When it, when it doesn't work, you definitely uh, just want to go home. <laughs> I heard about some of the post-it notes that uh, Danny. Oh, yeah. Uh, does any of them stick out to you that just comes right to mind when you think about it? Oh, the, the classic one is, did you draw this with your ass? <laughs> um, there was one that Pat Pakula got that was like, something like, yeah, you'd be better off parking cars for a living. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, uh, the classic one wasn't really funny, but the one we got a lot, you'd get a posted around a chunk of board, like a sequence, and it would just say rethink. And that's the, that's all you would get. You'd be like, what's wrong with it? Like, where do I go? <laughs> like, there's, it could be, you know, is there anything salvageable here? Is there like, do I just throw it all away and start again? Uh, so that was always like, oh, fuck, I got to rethink. I, or if you've got multiple rethinks in a board, you'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, so this one, uh, first off, is from a quiet board. I forgot to mention everybody's name on here. So ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. But all, most of these are from Reddit. Reddit just fucking blew up uh, less Ooh. than 24 hours. It was like 40 fucking questions just from Reddit alone. Um, but uh, a quiet borderline wants to know this is a little bit of a long one but he cuts to the point real quick um he says i know the show is inspired by danny antonucci's childhood memories is there anything from your own childhood uh childhood memories that they added to their animation like how a character's walk cycle is based on or how someone they knew growing up walked not so much of the animation because all the animation stuff was done um like the the walk cycles and stuff were done like by leah waldron and uh um, I can't remember who else did them. Um, but a lot of the, the boarding, all the boarding, like we're, we're the board side. So, uh, we didn't do a lot of the, we didn't do any of the animating. We did a little bit on the, some of the promo spots, but not so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was definitely bits and pieces of everyone's shared experience growing up thing, simple things like, you know, how you move around with a corded telephone. Like we would think about, you know, you would try and run 
to a different part of the house with that super long cord or, you know, like yelling around the corner of, of a door. Or I remember one of the things was, um, it was a real simple thing is, uh, there was, I can't remember exactly what episode it was in, but there was like, a, someone had a sewing machine or they were using a spool of thread and the way we drew the spool was like an old wooden spool. And Danny was like, yes, simple, iconic. It says what it is. It isn't modern. Cause we never had, we had no computers in the show. Mm -hmm. There was no modern conveniences. Like that was, he wanted it to be timeless. And I think yeah. that works really well. And why the show still holds up is because it doesn't have like weird dated internet references or video game stuff that feels out of place. So like think things like that, like just thinking about what things were like when we were kids and how we interacted with, with each other. Um, like some of the, uh, when Johnny's melon head, uh, you know, like I'm a big superhero dork. So, you know, I was looking at a lot of comic books and pulling from those things and trying and how I was trying to pose him for that stuff. So, I mean, everyone brings their own set of skills and experiences to it. And, and it's, it's hard to pull out individual things and be like, that was that person. And that was that person. Exactly. But it's, it's all in there. It's the, the spice on top of Danny's world. I, I love that you're a comic book and I'm going to point it down just for a little bit. Now it's oh, I was admiring your Batman. Batman's my guy. So yeah, I mean, he was, he was my introduction to the entire pop culture one and my closet over here is just full of long boxes. <laughs> I mean, I've got nine or 10 rows at least. And then behind me, I've got, well, I mean, you can kind of see the rack back there. Yeah. I can uh, see your Funkos. Yeah. Yeah. I've got more of the boxes back there. It's uh, <laughs> my wife calls it a sickness more than anything. Oh, I know. Um, my, my girlfriend's very, very patient. Uh, we have a, <laughs> in our living room there's 20 foot ceilings and there's a big bookcase and it's mostly graphic novels and yeah. uh she remembers when we were moving in and i was opening boxes and she could hear me downstairs being like fuck what is wrong with me um because i can't stop i can't i just have to buy these things there's nothing more that makes you want to quit reading comic books and quit buying comic books is when you move and you have to lug all of this shit especially like myself i have a fucking two-story house so i yeah. have to walk all of this shit and every every long box in here weighs at least fucking 50 pounds because everything's just pushed in there and bagged and boarded and pushed to the brim so i mean it's it's a coming to jesus meeting whenever you move with your if you're uh, i i just in the last couple of years got rid of not my childhood comics but the ones i'd had from like 2000 to 2015 i gave them to a guy who has two young sons who they had like a nerd room so i'm just like please take them because i'm not going back and looking at them again and I'd switch to my monthlies on an iPad mm -hmm. and read it that way because I just don't have the space for shit anymore. And some stuff I just like to read. I don't need to read it again. But other stuff, I figure if I'm going to read it again, I'll just buy the trade or a nice hardcover or something and have it in the library. Uh, but yeah, I just I'm running out of space for cool shit. Yeah, trust me, I feel you. I mean, my room really feels like it's starting to close in, but I like that, man, because when I come in here, I feel like a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's with cozy. It, it is, man. It's beautiful. I love it. My wife fucking hates it. That's why she never comes in here. But yeah, that's, that's why it, she, it's all in that room only, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, I get it. <laughs> so technically, I have a movie room downstairs, which is just a couch, my TV, and I've got on every single wall movie posters between nice. planes, trains, and automobiles, Batman the Animated Series to insert whatever, Back to the Future, all this different shit that I just absolutely love. Um, so it's kind of in that room, but I don't ever get to use it because my fucking kid is always in it. And <laughs> I just walk in there and then he's got like a popcorn and he's got his feet kicked up. And I'm like, hey, man, can I watch cartoons in here, too? He's like, nah, you won't like this show. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just go fuck myself and watch something else in my room, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
But uh, before we go to the next question, but uh, you said monthly pools, man. What is at the top of your pool list these days? Oh, man. Uh, well, I'm always reading Batman. I'm not so psyched on this future state stuff that DC is no, doing right another, now. Another fucking soft reboot. I mean, yeah, I'm glad it's kind of going one. away that it's just a temporary thing. One would hope. Um, what what was the thing? Um, I don't know. Like, Saga's great. I love Saga. It's so good. The, the Brubaker Phillips stuff. They're doing the Reckless graphic novel series that they're putting out now. The guys who did Criminal and who did Fade Out and all that stuff's always great. Um, just read read the latest volume of Sex Criminals, but. Uh, honestly, it had been so long since the last volume came out that I couldn't remember what the fuck was happening. <laughs> uh, so it's not a fault of the book. It's my fault. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I don't know. I like, I just like good stories. I don't care if it's uh, Batman finding the Joker or if it's minimum wage, Bob Fingerman, 90s angsty thing. I love Dan Klaus. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't care, man. If, if Princess I, and the Dressmaker, if you want to read, like, what's considered girl comics. It's an awesome comic, Princess and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. It's about a, a, a girl who's a seamstress who meets a prince who likes to dress in girls clothes. So he becomes a princess, but it, it's the sexuality isn't really important. Yes. It's a beautifully drawn, super sweet story. I don't care. It's what great. Was, what was it called again? Uh, the Prince and the Dressmaker. Prince and the Dressmaker. I'm gonna write that one down and check it out. Um, if I could give you a suggestion as far as books, um, it's getting yeah. to end in about eight months. Um, Immortal Hulk. Have you read this one? I've been reading in, in trades, yeah. Dude, it is fucking, I hate, I don't, I don't want to say the word hate because I'm trying to get that out of my lexicon of language and vocabulary. I have never been a fan of two characters, Hulk being one and Superman being two. They are all yeah. powerful. They are hard to beat. One comes from a planet. Another one just shouldn't exist because it, it just doesn't fucking work. The last Hulk, Hulk is better as a supporting character, in my opinion. That's why he's good in the movies, is because he's more like there to enhance rather than the whole story. Because well, their stories become the same after a while. It's keep him wanting more. Vice giving him so much, it's like just fucking go away. I don't want to see yeah. a fucking green asshole anymore. Uh, but, but Superman runs those same lines. It's just like it's. I don't like a Boy Scout. I like a great character. That's why I like Batman back here. Yeah. He does right. He does wrong. But at the end of the day, he's doing the best that he can with what he has. And he's a human being. So yeah. if you had billions of dollars and your parents died because somebody shot him in an alley. I used to, I used to think that when I was like 13. I was like, if only my parents were killed and I was a billionaire, I could be Batman. I mean, it's, I'm pretty sure it takes very, very good genetics too, which I don't fucking have. Batman looks same, like he was same. doing pull-ups out of, when he got shot out of the womb, he looks like he was basically <laughs> doing pull-ups, but nonetheless, yeah, yeah. Um, that one is a fantastic book. And if you have it, in tr I know you can get it in trade because it is super expensive now, um, but Donny Cates' is God Country, have you, re have you read that? No, but I'm reading his uh, crossover right now. Dude, crossover is so fucking good. Issue three came yeah. out last week, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Donny Cates is marvel's yeah, i'm reading I'm reading his thor run is pretty good because i love jason aaron's thor run was awesome i love jason aaron in general yeah he's a great uh, one too. have yeah. you read scout southern bastards is really good and yeah have you read scout oh yeah yeah, yeah. so good um yeah. i'm like it's been out for a while now but I, I think i got like two or three issues more because i've got all of this shit down here plus weeklies it's it's it piles up quickly it's hard um, to keep up yeah <laughs> dude just getting to it right um so couple more questions which of the eds is your personal favorite and why is it ed 
It probably was Ed uh, is my favorite. I think the fact that, I mean, I I was probably more of a brainy kid, but he likes the monster movies and the comic books and the, the stuff that everyone else thinks is dumb. But that was me growing up. You know, I liked cartoons and comics and horror movies and, uh, things that people didn't get yeah but he doesn't care like i think that was the sort of aspirational thing it's like this is what i like i don't care if you don't like he would never say that but it didn't bother him if someone's like that's stupid mm-hmm. i think just his his uh ability to let those kinds of things roll off his back was really appealing to me that's i think so- eddie was always a little too mean and double d was a little even if i am probably meek er um, I think he was maybe too meek for, for what I was, if I'm thinking aspirationally. It's something you for sure grow into as far as that personality is like, man, I don't give a fuck that you, we're just talking about the prince and the dressmaker. So yeah. the book who gives a shit if you like it, or you think I'm weird for liking it. Yeah. I yeah. Don't fucking care. You know, it's something we all aspire to have that just like, I don't give a fuck at the end of the day. I don't give a shit. If it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. Right. So yeah, that's what my my mom says is one of the best parts about getting older is you don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) What people (laughs) think. It really is a blessing. Yeah. Um, So uh, I'm pretty sure this one's come up a couple times too, but what was the creative purpose of the off color tongues? Well, Danny always explained to us that the tongues were those colors because they had been sucking on the jawbreakers all all the time. So, you you know, when you have one of those jawbreakers and it go, you suck it down, you get the different layers. It changes your tongue different colors. So I think it was just playing into their favorite treat. And it also helped them stand out and be more visually interesting. Well, there was there was another thing and I, I... I didn't know there was a term for it until John brought it up, but a boiling line. Is that the right, right term? Yeah. The way that was inked. Yeah. yeah. Who was that a hundred percent a Danny thing or was that something you guys. As far as I know, I mean the one of the original things that he wanted to do that just wasn't really feasible once we got into it is he wanted the characters to have like a bit of a bounce cycle when they weren't, uh, you know, if they're not the main purpose of the, the scene or whatever, if they're just standing there, he, you know, sort of like uh, on video games where like the fighter yeah, guys have like a breathing cycle. He yeah. wanted to have those for the characters. Um, so I think it was just a way to, at least as far as I remember him saying, like it was a way to keep them alive, even if they were just standing still. It felt, they felt like it had a bit of a kinetic energy mm-hmm. and it had some life to it that they were breathing, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think John had broken it down where it was almost very similar to what you just said, but it was like kids have energy. Mm-hmm. never stop going so why no would their outline stop going and I, I never like i always thought it was really cool and i haven't seen it before or since that boiling line um which i think was one of the most defi- i i knew that and loved that more than i wanted to know what was under double d's hat if we're being right honest i just thought it was fascinating I, you always see something you're like oh man i've never seen that before or this is fucking cool why isn't everybody else doing this and it was just something that stuck so well to this show and really like the colored tongues or like the the color splash here 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 and there it was something that gave you guys I, for me i don't want to you know blanket or put words in your mouth but it gave you guys mm-hmm. an identity or it gave you guys a a leg up i guess in animation yeah it definitely didn't look like anything else on tv at the time and or even since like some people could argue that it's ugly but um i, w- I would just say that it's different it's unique it's its own thing like Danny previously had done uh, the Brothers Grunt for MTV, which had a, a strange uh, sort of like weird 
straining cycles on all the characters. So I think it, it was just sort of like a, an interesting progression from those. I think there's something he must've been fascinated with of this, the, the sort of pent up energy that's always there in characters. And it's something that's uniquely him. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's like a fucking calling card or like when I say yeah. that, I think of the Ed Boys. I think of, I think of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Um, so in all I don't think any, I, I think the reason you don't see it is because uh, I don't know that anyone well, it, everyone would think that they were just ripping off the ads now, yeah. right? I mean, it, it would make sense if like somebody, everybody had, or not only say everybody had, but Kirby had a specific way of drawing with the Kirby dots, right? So if yeah, yeah. everybody started doing that, it's not so much paying homage. You're just, you're just taking something that worked for somebody else and trying to implement it into your repertoire. Repertoire is like fucking butcher the English language. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's, it's you taking something that somebody else kind of created um, and trying to pass it off as your own, I guess. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, like, as some of the people who grew up with this show move into being creators of their own series, like, will some of that influence carry over now with, into new projects? Have you seen, and I bring it up because I've had this guy on, his name is George Abingdon. Um, he's a British guy, but he lives in Australia, and he's actually doing a flash forward, um, like a flash forward to the Ed Boys. It's called Peach Creek. Have you seen this? Sounds vaguely from, are they like grown up sort of college age? Or? I think they're at the end of their senior year or they're at the beginning of their senior. I can't remember which one. Um, yeah. He's currently animating it all himself. I'll, uh, I'll send you over um, like a link to it so you can check it okay. out. It's fantastic. I tend, I tend not to look at a lot of fan art stuff, uh, especially because of my little, my time on My Little Pony too. You see a lot of porn stuff that you don't want to see. Um, I always used to get real mad about the Ed stuff because they didn't always age them up. And that really made me uncomfortable because like the characters are 12. They, they for sure, there is, um, I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen any porn in a, in a, in a sense, but there is a scene um, it's in the Kankers trailer. And then I think you see Eddie fall out of the top story window and he's trying to gather up his clothes real quick. Cause he was, you know, and yeah, but he's aged them up, right? Like they're yeah, 18. Yeah. That's, that's fine. Yeah. They're in, they're in high school. And then um, uh, you, you start seeing like four letter words fly. Like if you see fuck fly a couple times. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely aged them up. Um, you could look at it. You, you, don't, you don't have to. But I, I, I thought it was fascinating. I actually got the guy on to talk to him for a little while. And it was just one of those videos that my tech guy saw it on uh, a, a upload on, on YouTube. And he's like, hey, man, check this shit out. I'm like, holy shit. Somebody's, I thought Adult Swim had bought the rights to it. And I thought it was you guys um, just doing a grown up version of this. But nonetheless, man. I'll send that to you. And if you want to check it out, you can. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Uh, in all seriousness, this is from Naz. The um, mm -hmm. Naz, but Naz. Uh, in all seriousness, I only have one important question. In which state is Peach Creek located? I have watched all of the episodes and the movies in an attempt to narrow it down, but I am at a loss. It's never been stated. And, you know, if you want to split hairs, it could be Canada for all we know, because Danny grew up in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be anywhere usa it's sort of like springfield on the simpsons you don't know where it is exactly but it has influence from everywhere like there's bits of it that remind me of where i grew up in the pacific northwest and you know we had other people who were from out east in the maritimes and there's they would say like oh it's kind of like back home like it's supposed to be ambiguous there is no definitive answer to that beautiful um we got two more and then we'll wrap it up 
Sure. Hot emphasis, 3861. I didn't realize that there was 3,860 of those before, but nonetheless, we're here. Uh, he wants to know, or she, uh, why buttered toast? Because it's funny. <laughs> I mean... And, and really, if you, if, you, if you get down with bread, why not buttered toast? It's delicious. I mean, if you're not putting butter on your toast, there's one of two things that I instantly think of. Either A, you're a communist, or <laughs> B, you just haven't been introduced to the finer delicacies. Of right. You know, like, I mean, and you're a communist because you don't have access to butter. I, I would like to think that all communist countries, that if they were to experience buttered toast, we would no longer have war and hate and racism. I like to there think- There you go. That's the answer. Toast. It's the great unifier. It is. I mean, butter and bread is like sliced bread, but it always tastes better when it's toasted. And got it's true. Like, you know, when you get a fresh slice of bread and you put butter on it, really, is there anything better than that? Like, we know we shouldn't have so many carbs, but they're fucking good, especially when they're fresh. I, one of my favorite things to do is actually bake bread and make bread. Um, I do it every fucking week at work and it seems like I'm hating on it, but it's one of my, if I could do the baking aspect um, where it's every loaf is touched by these hands, vice, everything mm -hmm. in such huge production, I would change professions in a heartbeat and do it. Um, yeah. But it just, it's, it's not in the fucking, it's not in the, I'm putting this not in the soup. It's not whatever that terminology is. It's not there because there is a very small niche market for that. Yeah, um, yeah. And I live in Florida, and nobody gives a fuck about food here. Everybody likes McDonald's and Steak and Shake, which I like a McDonald's and Steak and Shake burger. Too. Sure, there's a place but, for that. Yeah, but it, it, you know, the world is full of all sorts of amazing flavors. Sample some of them. Yes, especially hot, warm, fresh bread. <laughs> um, and then the last one, I just had it, and then my fat fucking fingers pushed it. Oh, this is a really, really important one. I don't know if. I've never heard any of this, what I'm about to say. Um, if we can't talk about it, we'll completely pass over it. Um, yeah, that's fine. T Morse 425. He said, I read somewhere on the internet, there was an Ed, Ed and Eddie episode that was in production called Special Ed, but it got scrapped before it going to full production. I read that Danny Antonucci did this because the episode was too real, put that in air quotes. Can you ask them if they remember any extra information on how the plot for the episode was going to go or if the script for the episode is still around or exists? As far as I've heard that too, I don't remember that ever being a real thing. Like, I think we joked about the title mm -hmm. um, because, every, you know, all every title was sort of based on a, an existing title with the word Ed in it. Yeah. So, and it's, it seems sort of obvious. It's like low hanging fruit, like special Ed. Yeah. Uh, it just, it, it seems, and I think we went there and we probably made some pretty off color jokes at the time because we were 22, 23. Uh, and stupid but i don't i don't recall there ever being a script i don't remember there ever being an episode that we scrapped like you know we were, were working so hard and spending so much time i don't think we had the luxury of shit canning any episodes it was like make it work or just make it work like we didn't have an option so i i think that could be an apocryphal story that sort of someone took something that one of us said as you know as the joke about special ed or someone came up with on their own and it assumed a life of its own i don't recall maybe someone else does but i i honestly don't remember yeah i don't think it was real 
that was the first and only question I ever saw. And you always see stuff like this, like the urban legends of something. And it's all born out of somebody saying something that had no way of communicating with you guys back in the day or no way they were in the same yeah. room or anything like that. And it's just, it's become fan lore or fan fiction, whatever the fuck it really is. Yeah. Well, this is the thing about when the Eds came out, you know, we weren't on the internet in the way we are now. We didn't, and the, the show didn't air in Canada. We Which didn't have crazy. Cartoon Network in Canada. So we didn't know that it was popular. We were just making the show. So, uh, you know, if any of that stuff came out, it must've been from an official interview with Danny. And I, I don't see him saying that, even if it was true, I don't see him talking about that in an interview saying like, oh yeah, we had a, an episode that was too real called special. I don't even think it would have made it that far. No, you know I, what I mean, like it would have been, it would have been more than likely shit canned by the network before it ever made it to outside of the outline or even log line. The first like sentence, this is what the episode's about. Nope. Not yeah. doing that. Like, I mean, I've worked on other shows where it's like, if it touches too close to something that they're not comfortable with, it gets shit canned too early. Yeah, like, I, the, I, yeah. There's no time to fuck around and get that far into a, an episode and then have second thoughts. Especially it's when you expensive. guys were working 15-hour days back in the day, yeah, from start to finish. I like I said, I just don't see that happening. And you guys weren't South Park. I think South Park is the only one to really get away with that. And that but they're gets, also a different age demo, right? Like we were yeah. for eight to twelve-year-olds. South Park is on at eight thirty or nine at night. Yep. It's for adults, even though yep. kids love it. So it's just different, different parameters. Yeah, I like I said, I just I don't see that happening. And uh, up until now, like I went and googled it, and uh, there were some forums in Reddit. And I'm very new to Reddit, so I don't know how the fuck this shit works. So I'm just looking around, posting shit, finding out shit, asking questions and stuff. So uh, this is up until yesterday is the first time I ever heard about it, man. Um, but okay. as we wind down, I want to know one: where can people go to find Big Jim if they want to talk to you? Not so much talk to you like, hey Jim, what are you doing? But where can they go to see what you're working on right now? Uh, I mean, I post artwork junk on my Instagram page, which is at the biggest gym on Instagram. Uh, they, if they have questions that they didn't get answered here, you can always hit me up on Twitter. I will do my best to try and answer. I mean, I've, I, when I was involved with all the My Little Pony stuff, I always made a point of trying to answer as many people as I could, as long as it's not cutting into my work day. Yeah. Uh, and that's... Uh, um, at the biggest gym on Twitter as well. So pretty easy to remember. Yeah, man. I mean, it, 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 one, it's been fun. So, and two, I, I really appreciate you taking some time for me today. I know we had some hiccups earlier on my side, not on your side. I really appreciate you sticking in with me um, and gutting this shit out. And I really appreciate the stories you've told as well as opening up because you didn't have to, you could have just moved on. But I think when people go to see not so much just this episode, but they hear people talking about it and not the prototypical person talking about it. Somebody that doesn't look like the way we look or doesn't act or doesn't talk or doesn't feel or doesn't do certain things that are in this category or in this box or in this lane that has to be this way. I think people are really going to get something out of it that, like I said, is starting to be talked about more, but hopefully with dialogue like this and conversations like this, it can continue to progress and it continue to get better. And everybody else can really look at it, not being why me or why my brain not work like this. And like I said, yeah. the English language, so all this stupid shit that we really sit here and, and fixate on, man, I really think this is going to open up a lot more people's eyes and really just start a dialogue. And that's all we really need is people talking and people working this shit out. Like you said, therapy helps. I've done it. You've done it. 
you're doing yeah. it. I mean, and it's good, right? So, um, like I said, right off the bat, thank you for that story alone. Thank you. But, thank you for having me on. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about this show. Uh, it was really defining part of my career. Uh, and when you have Joel on, get him to tell you the Comic-Con story. Comic-Con story. Now, is there multiple Comic-Con stories or should I narrow it down? Well, he'll know the one I'm talking about. He may not want to tell it, but it's pretty great if you will. Okay, I wrote that one down. I've always got my little notepad, my little Snoop Dogg for Scribbles notepad. Um, Excellent. I've got that written down. Um, and this is where I tell everybody that they're going to feel probably a little bit uncomfortable. But nonetheless, I have to do this, right? So last year, we lost somebody. Around this time last year, we lost Kobe Bryant. And this put the seed in my head that I did not want people that I looked up to and that I appreciated for making my life as not only a child, but as an adult, so fun, right? When he died, I didn't get to say thank you. Right. I didn't get to say how much I appreciated what he did for the game. And I don't get to say that. And I don't get to do what I'm doing now if that doesn't happen. Right. So this is the un most uncomfortable part, mainly for the guests, because I sit here and fillet you guys for at least two to three minutes saying how much I really appreciated it. Um, oh, we're having I communication technical issues. <laughs> Like I said, man, I, I really appreciate everything you've done, you, you know, to find out that that was your first job, to find out you were so fucking young in this industry, to find out the hurdles and the fucking stuff that you guys went through on a day-to-day -day basis, putting out, like I said, the best show on Cartoon Network, the best show on Cartoon Network um, during that era. It, it, it is just mind boggling what you guys went through, what you guys accomplished and what you guys put out there. You guys put out nothing less than perfection on every single episode. There was not one episode of the show that was filler. There was not one ep episode of the show that was just like, all right, man, I guess Ed's going to do something stupid. Eddie's going to try to sell somebody something and Double D is going to come in with a label maker. None of that shit felt like that, man. Everything had a purpose. Everything had a point that it was trying to make to motivate and to produce something that would consistently keep going. It was a never ending story that ended essentially. And I'm glad that you guys got to tell the story that you wanted to tell and do what you guys wanted to do. Now, at the end of the day, like I said, thank you essentially is what I'm getting at, man. I really appreciate what you guys have done and what you guys accomplished. Um, and there's nothing really more that I can say other than thanks, Big Jim. I appreciate everything you do. I appreciate you took the time to talk to me. And uh, I can't wait to see what you guys are doing. Hopefully with this show coming to HBO Max, that we get a reboot. Seems like everybody's getting some kind of reboot redo with Invader Zim and Hey Arnold and Rocco all going to Netflix. I got to imagine with HBO Max spending all the money they had to buy the libraries that they bought that might be something in the works. And I hope that you would be a part of that to usher in a new generation of kids um, that love this show, that will love this show and continue to make this show want to grow. So at the end of the day, man, thank you for everything you've done. Uh, you froze up for a bit there. Can you go over it again? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, Julian. I, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you for your excellent questions. Thanks to everyone who... Uh, send in their questions on Reddit. That's really awesome. It's it's nice to, you know, I've been, the last 10 years, I've mostly been getting questions about My Little Pony. So it's nice to go back and, and talk about Ed, Ed, and Eddie stuff. So thank I don't, you very much. I don't understand any of the My Little Pony brony stuff. I tried. I, I just. Totally okay. It's not for, it's the same way that the Eds are not for everybody. Yeah. My Little Pony's not for everybody. They're diametrically opposed in terms of like, they're at completely opposite ends of the spectrum. There's some crossover. Uh, a lot of, 
Ed's uh, staff worked on My Little Pony as well. So when I saw some crossover that, there. When I saw that, I, I wanted to get into it just for that simple reason that you guys worked on it. I tried and I went away from it. I tried. It's just like you don't you have said, to, man. Not everything. There's enough other shit on TV. You don't have to like everything. No, nah, you don't, man. But like I said, I like supporting the people that I really enjoy. We got work. paid. We got paid. We're good. <laughs> so, but nonetheless, man, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a thousand times. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. I think this Mike Kubat actually has the most views as far as um, any of the videos I've had on here. So I'm pretty sure this one's going to blow Mike. Oh, out I got to crush the Kubes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's sitting at almost a thousand. It doesn't seem like much, but when I released this thing starting the a week before Halloween, man, it's that's a lot, you know, especially for somebody that's small chump change like me, you know. So I appreciate everybody that's really that uh, really appreciated everybody that has sat through me stuttering and me fucking up words and Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. So I really appreciate that, man. But nonetheless, man, he has been Big Jim Miller. I've been Julian. This has been What's in My Head podcast. And this podcast should go to show you to always meet your heroes, man, because they're fucking fantastic. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You guys have a good night. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.